How many of you have had the privilege of going to the Bible lands? Has anyone been into to Israel? Anybody had the, the chance to travel there before? Barb, you've been there before? It was striking how many people were at these different holy sites that were not Christians. There were many Jewish people that were there. And they were at the Wailing Wall and other places dressed in the garb that showed that they were of Jewish belief and they had prayer shawls on and they were taking certain small prayers and sticking them in between the rocks and the wall and they were saying these prayers over and over again with this bowing motion against the wall. And we found this at a few different places. And I thought to myself, uh, here are these people that are hoping for a Messiah that will never come because they've already missed him. And that sort of put a heaviness on me as I saw these folks that were waiting for somebody that would come to be a deliverer, and yet God has already sent the deliverer. And here are these people that the Lord obviously loves and gave them through a rich history, the oracles or the word of God, the, the, the prophets, and many of them have rejected Jesus Christ as Messiah. What is the consequence for Israel rejecting Jesus? Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, came. He wasn't just a man. He was the God-man. He fulfilled all the prophecy connected with the Deliverer. God promised way back in Genesis that he would send someone to deliver his people and gave more about that promise as time went on. And then when he came and fulfilled all that prophecy and openly declared who he was and offered to usher in the kingdom that God had promised, a kingdom of righteousness, the religious leaders led the people to reject him. Out of jealousy, out of fear of losing the power that they had, but probably mostly out of stubborn pride because he was not one of them and condemned them, they rejected him. Was that their only chance? Can the Jewish people still be saved? Are Jewish people allowed into heaven without Jesus Christ because they do follow the Old Testament? Are Judaism and Christianity two different religions? And what is God's attitude towards the Jewish people today? Well, we're looking in our series uh, on the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 3, this, the last part of a sermon that Peter gave when he was in the temple after healing a lame man. And so we're in Acts chapter 3 and verse number 19 together. Here's what the Word of God says. Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you, of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first, excuse me, unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you, and turning away every one of you from his iniquities. Let's pray together.
Father, may your word be open to us. May you give us power and guidance by your spirit into all truth. I pray that you give me clarity of thought and speech. Minister to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. By this point, the Lord Jesus Christ has given his life on the cross for every man, woman, boy, and girl that has ever lived. He laid down his life, but as he laid down his life, death could not hold him. And three days later, he rose from the grave. Over a period of 40 days, he showed himself alive to his apostles. Over 500 of the brethren at one time saw him. Lots of eyewitnesses were there. And then Jesus ascended back up into heaven. And we read about that in the beginning of the book of Acts. And now the Spirit has come in fullness, empowering the church on the day of Pentecost. And they went and they preached powerful sermons. The language barrier was broken down so that the gospel could travel to people who were hearing it in their own language, even though the disciples were speaking as Galileans and didn't know those languages. And then, days afterwards, you have, after many people got saved, you have Peter and John heading into the temple. They were heading into the temple to worship, and on their way into the temple to worship, they passed a man who daily had been laid at one of the entrances to the temple and was begging because he was lame. It doesn't say whether he was injured, and that's why he ended up lame, or if he was born that way, but there weren't jobs for disabled people during that time. If you were not able to work and work in a hard physical way, you ended up as a burden to your family or you ended up as a beggar. And so they laid him at that gate and he begged every day until Peter and John came and the man asked some alms or a gift that was traditionally given to the poor of money. And instead of giving him money, they said, gold and silver have I none, but what I have that I give unto thee. And they said, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he did. And a miracle happened. And this happened in front of everybody in the temple. And as you can imagine, the man didn't just say, oh, well, thank you very much for me being able to walk and go on his way. No, he was so thrilled, he started causing a scene. He was hanging on Peter and John and holding on to them and praising God. And everyone came over to hear what was going on. Now, remember, they're in the middle of the temple, which is run by the people that have decided that they don't want Jesus. They don't want to follow Jesus's teachings and they don't want anything to do with his followers in fact they put jesus to death so this is a very interesting place for them to be preaching openly and as he's preaching he said many things but he talked about how they had killed the prince of life how jesus came the messiah god's son was offered to them and they refused to have him they refused to have him and that brings us to verse number 19 where we began he says repent ye therefore the therefore is there because of what they had done in rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ and being a part of putting him to death, even though they did it ignorantly, not realizing he was the Messiah. And so what he does is after explaining to them the condition that they're in and what has happened and what the word of God says, he calls on them to repent. There's a lot of mistaken under there. There's a lot of bad understanding of that word repent. That word repent means more than to just feel bad. It means more than to just feel bad. Some people think that it's just a term for sorrow or sadness at something that happened or something you did. That is short of what God says in repentance. Repentance is a change in direction, a turning from sin and to the Lord in your own heart and in your attitude. It is more than just saying, Lord, I repent. In other words, I'm sorry I did wrong. Or even more cheaply than that, I'm sorry I got caught doing wrong. This is something that says, I want to make a difference. I'm turning. The Bible says if we turn to the Lord, he'll turn to us. 
And so there's this mixture going on of the Lord working and of people responding to his grace. And he's saying, I want you to repent. I want you to turn. Now, what's going on here, we're going to find out, is Peter is speaking to more than just the individual people. It's almost as though you could imagine that the leaders of Israel, though we don't read about them until chapter 4, the leaders of Israel are listening to this as well, because this isn't just a direct plea to the people, but also to the whole nation to receive the Messiah that came to them. He says that your sins may be blotted out. Why? After you're converted. After you return to God, after you get right with God, that your sins might be wiped away. Isn't that wonderful that people can be made clean after they've sinned? That there is a way back to God? That the Lord doesn't just leave us in our broken condition? I, I, I am so thrilled that God included 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 9. Let's look there just for a moment. It's not in the slide, so you'll have to follow me there in your own Bible. 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 9. This is written to believers. This is not about salvation. This is about being thoroughly clean and right before the Lord. This is about restoring a relationship that has been sullied or dirtied. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does it mean to confess your sin? Well, it's not just to say what you did, it's to agree with God about it. It's to say the same thing that God would say. I want you to know that when you confess your sin, you're not confessing a problem or a mistake or a bad habit or a moment of indiscretion. What you are confessing is sin. It's important to call it what it is. We've got all sorts of nice ways of dressing things up, don't we? We've got nice things that we, we make it say, well, he bent the truth a little bit, right? He, he cut some corners, right? Well, it was, it was mostly the truth. He took a little off the, the, the top for himself, right? We've got nice ways of saying bad things that we do so we don't feel so bad about it. But Jesus Christ is not here to forgive us of sins or to cleanse us, excuse me, to forgive us of mistakes He's not here to forgive us of bad habits, of accidents. He's here to forgive us of sin. And if we're going to confess our sins and have this cleansing that God offers, we're going to have to agree with what he says about it. And we should use the language that God uses when we confess our sins. It says that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Faithful, he'll do it every time. Just, it's right for him to do it every time. Why? Why is it right for God to do it every time? Because Jesus Christ already paid the penalty for those sins. It's already been cared for. You say, I understand that when I got saved, Jesus forgave all of the sins that I had committed, but you mean he even is going to forgive the ones I did in the future? Or I'm going to do in the future? And the answer is yes. Remember, when Jesus Christ died for your sins, all of your sins were in the future. That's, that's not a bother to him. It says he is just and faithful. Faithful is hard to believe sometimes. Faithful meaning that he's going to do it every time. You ever figured that you messed up so many times that God's finally just going to be like, nope, nope, I'm done with you. You said that, you thought that, you did that, you went there, you broke this, you left that undone, and, and you think to yourself, man, he's just done with me. No, no, he's not. Praise God we have such a savior to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of it? All of it. 
of every kind, of every amount. What a great promise he has to believers. Now, I want you to know that there may be earthly consequences for our sin. Right? If I steal Seth's car, and then I, I ask Jesus to forgive me of it. Did you say go ahead? <laughs> He's like, light it on fire when you're done so I can collect some insurance. If I steal his car and then I ask, I ask Jesus to forgive me of my sin, does that suddenly make all my problems go away? No, I've got earthly consequences, and I'm going to have to rebuild my integrity, aren't I? Because Seth's not going to trust me to borrow his car again, right? And so there, this is not to cheapen sin. This is to make God's grace so marvelous, so wonderful. That's why we sing about the wonderful grace of Jesus Christ, because of how far it extends. And so we don't have to stay feeling dirty. We can find that cleansing. Back in our passage, it says that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. You say, what are these times of refreshing? This here is reminding the people of God that God promised a kingdom. God promised someone to sit upon the throne of David, that there would be a kingdom of righteousness that would have no end. That this, of this king of the lineage of David, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, would one day sit on the throne and rule from Jerusalem, fulfilling all the promises that God made to the children of Israel in the Old Testament that have yet to be fulfilled, and they will be fulfilled in the future. You see, there is coming a day when the Lord Jesus Christ will return. That's what verse number 20 says. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you. The Lord Jesus has been received back up into heaven, and there is a time when he's going to return. Not to be born again as a babe in a manger, not to be born again into obscurity and lowliness, but he's going to come in power as a conquering king. When will he come? There will be a day when you and I, as the church of God, will be raptured up, will be caught up together before a seven-year period of judgment will be poured out upon the earth. You say, this world is so broken and it's so wicked, and you hear about horrible things on the news, and you read about things online, and you say, how in the world can God continue to let this go on? Where is his judgment against the horrible people doing horrible things to one another? And the answer is, the judgment is coming. It's only by his mercy and grace that he has tarried this long that there might not be uh, wheat pulled up with the tares. A reference to an example that Jesus gave about how there are people that are still yet to be saved. And God's mercy is the only reason that he forbears. But the day will come when we, as the church, will be raptured out, and there will be a period of seven years when God will pour out his wrath upon this world. People will still be saved during that time, but it will be a hard time to be saved. God will take back up the nation of Israel because the church will be gone. Remember in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was God's chosen agent for world evangelism, and then the churches in the New Testament, and in that time of the tribulation, he'll pick back up the nation of Israel and continue to use them and to fulfill his promises to them. And at the end of that seven years, there is coming the great return of the Lord Jesus Christ, that great day of the Lord when he will come with wrath and judgment against the Antichrist and the forces of evil. And once he has thrown them down in the great battle, he is going to, from the throne of David in Jerusalem, rule for a thousand years on the earth, setting all things right. This is what is meant by that times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. He will actually be present on this earth, and society will be turned on its head. You know, it's almost impossible. I was talking with my, with my in-laws. It's almost impossible uh, for them to find something to watch on television that would be okay for my kids to watch alongside them. 
They eventually had to find old cartoons that I watched when I was growing up. I, I walked in and saw uh, Lena there, and they were watching Tom and Jerry. And I'm like, honey, have you even ever seen this before? And she's like, ah, this is my second time. I've seen this before. What, what does that have to do with anything? Well, because things are so wicked now, it's almost impossible to find anything to watch, listen to, or read that in some way is not displeasing to God. Whenever you, you walk across somebody in our town, most likely, they are not living in a way that pleases the Lord. This will all be turned to where the vast majority of what we read, see, and hear will be righteous. What we'll see in society. You know what? The corrupt politician is going to be the rarity. Won't that be a nice change? Right? People will be speaking truth. Instead of lies and propaganda, the news outlets will be putting forth truth. I'm looking forward to a kingdom like that. And the Lord Jesus Christ will have that, and we will rule and reign with him for that thousand years before there's a new heaven and the new earth and we're taken up together. If some of that is news to you and you haven't heard that before, don't worry. We'll cover it again in another sermon series. It says in verse number 21, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. We have another phrase here for it, that time of restitution of all things, when all that's wrong is going to be made right. That day is coming. And God has spoken this, not just now, in this passage by Peter and John, not just by Jesus Christ, but all the prophets of the Old Testament talked about this kingdom of righteousness, talked about this time of deliverance that God was going to bring, talking about setting all things right. The prophets spoke about it. You see, this is important because what's going on here is that Peter is trying to help them understand that this is the Messiah that God intended for the nation of Israel. This isn't some different religion. This is the culmination of all that God has put forth for his people. Verse 22 says, For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. There's very little authority that you could appeal to, to the Jewish mind, that would be any greater than what Moses said. They would always go back to what Moses said or to the fact that they're of the lineage of Abraham. These were the things that they hung their hat on, that they identified with God by following the law of Moses and being of the descendants of Abraham. So when he's saying, if you want to know what you should do with Jesus Christ, look back to what Moses said. Again, connecting the Jehovah, God of the Old Testament, and the Jesus Christ of the New Testament, so that not just the individual people that are listening to this hear it, but that once again the nation of Israel would return, because as a nation they rejected the true offer of the kingdom, and as a nation they need to repent and to turn and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. How is it that the Lord Jesus is like unto Moses? Well, Moses was a deliverer, and Moses was a judge. The Lord Jesus Christ is a great deliverer, and he is a great judge. As Moses was used of God to deliver the children of Israel out of the bondage of Egyptian slavery, he has used the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver us out of bondage of sin and of death and the grave. As Moses judged in the wilderness, so the Lord Jesus Christ is coming to judge on that great day of the Lord against the enemies of God and the wickedness of this world. And he says, Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. This is calling back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, and this is a command that was given by Moses to the people. 
And he's saying, you're going to hear this prophet and do whatever it is that he says. This is who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Once again, connecting for the people that this is your Messiah that you have missed when he came. He says in verse 23, And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. There's a fork. There's a parting of ways. There's two different paths that are being taken at this moment. In the history of God's people, you have those that will continue on with God in this moment and receive his Messiah. Those who will follow God's plan. Remember, the Messiah coming has always been God's plan. The church may have been a mystery in the Old Testament, but the Messiah most certainly was not. His salvation and his deliverance most certainly was not. So there were those who would continue on God's path of his righteousness, following his plan, and continue straight on. But then there are those who would veer off and reject the Messiah that came for them, who would refuse to repent and to turn to Jesus Christ. That veering off... See, a lot of people think that Judaism stayed straight and Jesus Christ and Christians was veering off. No, it's the exact opposite. God's plan always included a deliverer, the Messiah. It's the part of Judaism that refused to believe. And so you say, how did we end up getting modern-day Judaism? Is it the same thing as the biblical teachings of the Old Testament? And the answer is no, it's not. It's become something different. They have rejected the Messiah who came, and because of that, they have moved away into the realm of false religion. And it's a grieving thing to God's people, and it ought to be. Have you ever read the latter part of the book of Romans? When Paul said that he, he would be damned if he could in place for the children of Israel. He lamented that the children of Israel had been given so much. The prophecies, the prophets themselves, God's great blessing, the city of Jerusalem, that even Jesus came to them in the flesh of one of their own people, of one of their tribes, and they rejected. They had been given so many opportunities and they refused to do it. Jesus even said, as he wept over Jerusalem, how much God wanted to gather them in, but they refused it. The Apostle Paul, when he would travel from city to city preaching the gospel, would go to the synagogues first because the gospel was first to the Jew. We'll see that in a Bible passage here in just a moment. But it came a point when the Jewish people, those that were going to believe, believed, and those that weren't, they were done. They were done listening. And there was a definite schism between those that would follow Jesus as Messiah and those that would reject him. And so they said, it's on you. We're going to go to the Gentiles now. And so many of the Gentiles believed. And what a grieving thing that must be to the Father and to the Lord Jesus to see their people in such numbers refuse. It says that they'll be destroyed from among the people. Sure enough that those as individuals who do not trust Christ as Savior face the destruction of death and hell forever. And the life, the deliverance that the Lord Jesus Christ brings keeps people where they need to be, which means right with God, which on the path for heaven. And so there's a decision that has to be made. The people need to make a decision. They may have, out of ignorance before, not believed in Jesus. In fact, Peter even said that. He said, because of ignorance you did it. And the same thing with your leaders. But now, as he's standing there in their temple, the center of Jewish life and worship, with crowds gathered around him, he declares that it may have been an accident before, it may have been ignorance before, but now you have to make a decision. Because either you'll be cut off from the people of God, or 
you will remain with the people of God. Verse 24. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days, speaking of the kingdom that Jesus is supposed to bring. Verse 25. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, and in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. You know, Abraham was Abram before his name was changed to Abraham, and he was chosen by God not because he was great or powerful or wise. In fact, for the exact opposite. But God took Abraham and his family and turned him into a great nation because of the promise that was made to him. Look back in Genesis 12, would you? This is what is being referred to here is the covenant. Remember, a covenant is a solemn promise. A solemn promise. And God made a covenant, made this solemn promise to Abraham and to his lineage. In Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 1. Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee. And make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. How? How could Abraham's lineage, even after all of those generations, and even after the number of them is multiplied, how could they be a blessing to all nations, to all people, all families of the earth? How is that possible? Well, through Abraham's line would come the Messiah the Deliverer. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. The Savior came first to the Jewish people, but not only to the Jewish people, also to the Gentile. And so this Messiah that they are being confronted with, they are being reminded, these days have been spoken about. You ought to know this from what was taught in the Old Testament. And he says, ye are children of the prophets. You ought to know this. You grew up with them. And you're of the covenant that God made. Verse number 26. Unto you first, God having, unto you first, God having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you. Take out that little phrase for a second, having raised up his son Jesus. It's got a comma there. So let's just read it. Unto you first, God sent him to bless you. The Messiah was sent to God's people, the nation of Israel, that they might believe and that they might be blessed. And they were about to miss, they were about to miss their Messiah. Because perhaps they did it in ignorance, they had another witness, another opportunity. Even though Jesus himself stood among them and they refused to listen, here the messengers, the followers of Jesus, stand among them once again and make a call to the individual and a call to the nation to say, turn back to the Lord. Now it's a very interesting question and we don't know the answer to it and I don't know if it's really that important. But was Peter here on behalf of Jesus making another offering of the kingdom to come right now at this moment? And the answer is probably, but I'm not sure. It doesn't really matter, though, because they didn't take him up on it. We'll get there in Acts chapter 4. There were a number of people that believed, but the leaders who most certainly were listening, because we'll find out next week or the week after, they most certainly heard and didn't want to hear it. By the way, they said he raised up his son Jesus. In other words, I know you killed him and you thought it was over, but he's back. You're going to have to make a decision. You cannot get rid of him. It's turning, it's, it's sitting right there in the face, this decision. 
He wants to turn away every one of you from his iniquities. He still wants to save you after everything that you've done. This is a very deep passage referring to a number of things, uh, promises in the Old Testament, fulfillments of promises in the New Testament, but there are things for you and I to take away from this. And so let's look at some points of application as we tonight start to wrap up our sermon. Actually, there's one other verse I wanted to show you first. In in Romans, would you turn with me to Romans chapter 1? Because it said, unto you first, not only, but first, and that's important. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 16. The word of God says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. To the Jew first because it was a Jewish Messiah that came to the Jewish people fulfilling Jewish promises that they might have the salvation that God wanted for the Jewish people. But also for those that were not Jewish, those who were Gentiles or in this case referred to as Greeks that he came for everybody. And this gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins, this was the salvation that God had intended for all of them. So let's look at the applications. First of all, decide about Jesus Christ. Decide about Jesus Christ. Peter called the crowd in the temple to make a decision. They could not stand there, one foot in, one foot out. Fence straddlers, one foot in the door, one foot out in the door. They could not remain neutral on him. They either needed to receive him as God's son, as the Messiah, or they needed to reject him. And if they rejected him, they're being warned, you're going to be left behind. You're going to miss the Messiah. You're going to be cut off and destroyed. This is true not only for the people in that day to decide what they're going to do with Jesus Christ, but you and I must make the decision of what we will do with Jesus Christ. I remember many times as an unsaved person, this this decision was put before me, and I didn't want to do anything with it. I remember sitting over here, and I attended church for about 18 months here while the gospel was faithfully preached from this pulpit as I heard it in Sunday school as a young lady tried to share it with me. I heard it, and you know what? I just didn't want to make a decision. I didn't really want to reject Jesus, but at the same time, I didn't really want to believe in Jesus, and so I thought I could just be safe. But if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. If you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. And so we are called to either believe on the Lord Jesus Christ or reject him and then be ready to meet God with our own record and our own sins. You see, the Lord Jesus came that we might have life, that we might have eternal life, that we might have the forgiveness of sins. And when he comes, not only does he forgive us of our sins, but he gives us his righteousness. So when I stand before God and he looks up my record in his heavenly filing cabinet, or however that works, in the book of life, right? He's going to see Jesus's record and not mine. He's going to see Jesus's perfection and not my lack of perfection. He's going to see Jesus's sinlessness and not my sinfulness. That's what happens when Jesus's righteousness is imputed to me, when his goodness is put on my account. And praise God, I know that I will get into heaven, not because I deserve it, but because Jesus Christ deserves it, and he has taken my place and paid for my sins. That's how I have confidence that I know when I die, I'm going to be allowed into heaven. It's nothing that I'm going to boast about. It's nothing I've done. People think it's quite presumptuous to say that you know you're going to heaven, 
only if it's about me. It's not about me, it's about him. And I know that Christ will carry me through. So not only must we make this decision, but we should prompt other people to make this decision, to either receive or to reject the Lord Jesus Christ. All of our times when we're sharing the faith, if the Lord allows us to, this is the moment that we're building towards. Every time we share the gospel, every time we talk about our faith and we talk about our Lord, we should be working towards this place where we bring people to a decision point where they either accept or reject the Lord Jesus Christ. It's one thing to talk about. It's another thing to ask them and say, would you like to receive Christ as your Savior? Would you like to pray and ask him to forgive your sins? And that is an uncomfortable thing to do, but it's a very necessary thing to do. It's a decision that must be made. He says that whatever Moses said in the Old Testament, and Peter quoted him, that whatever this prophet says, you should do it. You should hear him and obey what he has to say. That's another decision that you and I need to make about the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just for salvation, but how much is Jesus going to have to do with the rest of my life? How much, is he gonna, how much am I going to invite Jesus into my marriage to, to inform me of what it is I ought to do as a husband? Or for you ladies, as a wife. What, what, how much am I going to bring him into my rearing of my children? How much am I going to bring Jesus into what I do with my spare time and my hobbies? Or the workplace that I go to? Or the school that you might attend, depending on your age? How much is Jesus going to have to do with the other areas of my life? It's whatsoever. Notice, notice how that phrase, it's a very strong phrase. He says, Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. So, that's everything. And I'm still working on that, by the way. But I do want, I do want him to have his way in every area of my life. This is another decision on whether we will take part of Jesus' teachings or whether we'll take all of them. And we're called to take all of them. So we need to make a decision about the Lord Jesus Christ. Second of all, we need to connect the Old Testament Jehovah and the New Testament Jesus Christ. We need to connect the two of them. Many Israelites and their leaders saw Jesus as a threat. And really, Christianity, Jesus' teachings, they weren't a threat to Judaism. It was the fulfillment, the culmination of it. This is where it was always going. Bible-believing Christians, we say yes to the Old Testament and to the New Testament. We understand that there's differences in how God has dealt with man throughout different periods of time, but salvation has always been by faith, and the object of that faith has always been in the Lord. It has never been by works. And salvation is what God desires for what he desired for his people in the Old Testament to have and in the New Testament. God has always had a people. God has always had a people. And so we, the church, are the continuation of God's work in this world. Like I said, one day when the rapture happens and we're caught up, the Lord Jesus or God will return uh, to working in the nation of Israel and will fulfill all of those promises that he made in those uh, latter days of the tribulation and also in the millennial kingdom. But for now, for now, you and I ought to be very careful not to separate what goes on in the Old Testament from the New Testament. By the way, we ought to know how they interact with each other. We ought to know how they interact with each other. We don't observe the Sabbath day the same way that they did in the Old Testament. We don't worry about mixed linens in our clothes, right? Some of you might eat shellfish, right? 
there are different dietary restrictions and things in the Old Testament. And people might say, well, why don't you do that today? It says if you've got a disobedient child that refuses to be corrected and they're of a certain age, you can stone them to death publicly for it. Is that how we ought to deal with our children today? And some of you parents are saying, you know, you've, you've got teenagers and all of a sudden you're like, I'm pretty sure that's biblical. And the answer is there is a way that God dealt with the nation of Israel and there's a way that God deals with the New Testament church and they are not identical, though there is much in common. That's a conversation for a different time. If you want to know more about that, if that intrigues you, there's a man by the name of Charles Ryrie who wrote a book called Dispensationalism. It's a very good read. It sounds scary, but it's not. You'll be helped by it. That's what happened to me every time in seminary because I didn't go to Bible college before I went to seminary. I I had a different undergraduate degree in computers. And so when I went there, they were using all sorts of words that I didn't know because I didn't have any background in it. And so I would sneak up to the professor after class and I'd be like, what is that? And he would always give me the title of a book and the name of an author. (laughs) That was his response. And so then I'd have to go get the book and I'd have to read that. It was good for me. But we need to connect the Old Testament with the New Testament. And finally, we need to rest knowing that God will set this world right. Oh, it's not up there. We need to rest knowing that God will set this world right. Jesus Christ's return is promised, and I believe that it's soon. He's coming, and he's coming back again in power to destroy the wicked and to set this world to right. For a thousand years, we will live alongside him in a kingdom of righteousness. The evil and the good will be swapped in that society, And as we mentioned, only God's goodness and grace keeps him tarrying. And so what should we do? Well, we should, and I heard some people talking about it beforehand, before church. um, Can we save this world? No. But can we see people saved out of this world before this world falls under God's judgment? And the answer is yes. Right? We must do more than make the world a better place from which people go to hell. I love when people do things to serve one another. I believe that honors the Lord Jesus Christ when we serve our communities. But we have to understand we're trying to get every man, woman, boy, and girl on the lifeboats, on the life rafts. It's like the sinking of the Titanic. And we need to get people off the boat instead of sitting there rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. I heard Pastor Steve referring to that before. And we can rest knowing that God is going to set this world right, that God is going to take care of it. It's not our job to fix everything, and in fact, he's going to care for it. So, a couple of questions as we think about this time. What happens when a New Testament believer disregards the Old Testament? Oh, that's Old Testament, God. I I don't need that. I got the New Testament. What happens, though, when someone... Yeah, Jim? He's half what? Half learned. Yeah. What has he not learned about? The Old Testament. What do we find out about in the Old Testament that's important? Anything? Yeah, Ron? Examples of how to live? Absolutely. Yeah, Kyle? Yeah, his promise? Absolutely. What else is in there? Yeah, Chris? Showing us that Christ is coming? Absolutely. There's a lot. We learn about the character of God. Yes. Sin doesn't pay. pay. Yeah, we can see that all over the Old Testament. Most certainly. There's a lot that we learn about the character of God in places that 
we would not see that in the New Testament. Things in the Old Testament were in seed form, are in full blossom in the New Testament. And the things that are in the New Testament, we can see the foreshadowing of them and understand them more from the Old Testament. There's some things we just wouldn't understand. Like when Jesus Christ died on the cross, the veil in the temple was ripped in two from top to bottom. Like, that doesn't mean anything to you unless you understand that that veil was there as a separation for between God and man. Man couldn't go into the presence of God, and yet it was destroyed so that now man can be directly into the presence of God, and it was destroyed from top to bottom, meaning who destroyed it? God. No one at the bottom. This was a big, thick piece of probably like leather in its durability. So let's, let's not dismiss the Old Testament. Anything else that we miss out on if we don't pay attention to it? What's that? He's a jealous God. Yes, he is. He is a God of judgment. Yes. We see, we see grace and judgment in both Testaments, but without a doubt, we get lots of firsthand examples of his judgment. Yes, he is. He's a just God. Yeah, Ron? Yes, that he followed through with his promises or his curses. Yeah. Jim? Prophecy. Things that God said would happen, and then they did. One of the great reasons that we believe that the Bible is the word of God. It would be a, be a sad thing to miss out on all of that. Yes, we've seen how people have exercised faith in God and received his blessing for it. Why do you think people are hesitant? They're hesitant to make a decision about Jesus Christ. Why must they be confronted with it? Yeah, Ron? They want to stay in control. Very true. Any other reason? Yes. I'm going to make that decision myself. I want to be the boss. I don't want Jesus to be the boss. Yes, Jim? The enjoyment of sin. For a season. And then you wake up in the pigsty in the far country. Absolutely. Anything else that comes to your mind? Yeah, Ben? Yes. False information. Yep, people not wanting to people not wanting to make a decision because of that. How does it change things to know that this world is going to get worse before it gets better? How does it change things to know that that Jesus is going to be the one to come back and set it right? What does that make it a difference to us as Christians? Ron? Patience to endure? Yes. How else? Makes us realize our hope is not in this world. We, uh, we think if things get better, then our lives will get better, and things will be better. But um, that's not going to be the case. So our hope is not, this world is not our home. Our hope is not here. Our hope is on someone and somewhere. Yeah, Amen. 
It keeps us from putting our hope here. It keeps our hope in heaven. How does it change? Oh, yeah, Jim? Reminds us to get busy. And to get busy about what? Yeah, reaching out to people, sharing the gospel with them. Isn't it easy to get busy about things that don't matter? There are lots of good things to be involved in, but we've, we've got a certain calling. As God's people, the church is to be the pillar and ground of the truth. And so we ought to be careful not to give the little bit of time and energy and resources and prayer and effort to things that aren't truly important. Because there's a lot of things people get wrapped up in. And knowing that this world is fading focuses our attention on the eternal. What's going to last forever that's here on earth? What's the only thing we can take with us? Well, that's settled in heaven. I think it's already there. <laughs> People, right? The souls of men, women, boys, and girls, they will last forever. They will last forever somewhere. It's an eternal part of us. They'll exist as long as God exists. And so that's what's truly important. I know Jesus, or not Jesus, Jim. Sorry, you're just so much like Jesus. I, I mistook you two. Um, he, held up, he held up the Bible. I'm convinced it's already there. So <laughs> it's settled in heaven. Amen. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the promise that you will make all things new again, that you will make all things right. This world is so grievous and the wicked seem to get away with hurting the innocent. And it's so hard to watch that those who should be doing right and protecting people are the ones oftentimes perpetuating the wrong. And Father, help us to have faith to endure, faith to be strong, to trust in you. Help us to be busy about your work, about bringing people to this decision point. Help us to decide that we will listen to you in all matters, in all areas. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you didn't receive a prayer sheet, would you slip your hand up and we'll make sure to get you one? Anybody not receive a prayer sheet when you came in tonight? I want to make